Welcome to the Vici Mundum Show, a ministry of Our Lady of Mount Carmel Catholic Church in Newport News, Virginia. So, Steve, you grew up in this parish, is that correct? Sure is, Austin. It's good to be back. It's been a long time since I've been here. We figured out that uh, I went to school here and graduated from the sixth grade in 1968. And uh, then I stayed in here through high school. I was involved uh, with the youth ministry and CCD. And this parish uh, was very formative in my early years. Um, I had an 11th grade CCD teacher who uh, had me, asked me to go on a Christian Awakening retreat up mm. near Richmond. And I don't remember what year that was. It was 11th grade. It may have been 72. I think it was Christian Awakening number 3. And they're on, I don't know, 200 or something now. And uh, and that event was significant. But then she had the students, the uh, young people that went to the retreat, to come over to their house once a week hmm. for a prayer and share meeting. And so for three years, including my freshman year at Thomas Nelson of college, I, I went to that prayer and share meeting, and my faith grew so much. And that's why I'm here today, basically because wow. of of her efforts and the efforts of this parish. And, and so it's very formative in my foundation. Wow, wow that's incredible. incredible. That's a great plug for youth ministry. <laughs> <laughs> now, you weren't here in 68 where you can. No, no, think. no, it's not me. I'm not yeah. saying me. I'm just saying for youth ministry. You know. <laughs> in general, absolutely. In general. I would agree with that, yeah. totally. That's it can have an impact on people's lives yeah. significantly. That and small groups, I mean, I think it, mm-hmm. we, we're coming to realize in our parish just more and more how the, the small faith communities mm-hmm. of people reading scriptures together, mm-hmm. talking about their own life experience mm-hmm. with Jesus, their own walk with him, mm-hmm. that um, it pulls you out of isolation, which is where it seems mm-hmm. the devil wants you to stay, mm-hmm. and then uh, uh, brings you into community, which has the same root as communion. Um, yeah, we've got some uh, weed eater sounds outside, don't we? <laughs> Hopefully our listeners, I'm hoping, have gotten used to some of these noises that, that go on. Uh, I was talking to one listener uh, yesterday. Uh, I was talking to, his name's John, and he's like, oh, yeah, every now and then we hear the bells going off. Yeah, you know, get some local ambiance. <laughs> you can feel like you're here with us. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, well, Steve, um, I guess we'll go ahead and get started. Um and do some introductions. So I'm Austin Fahrenholt. We've got Ken White, youth minister. And then we have a special guest with us today, Mr. Stephen Himmler. And uh, Steve, you've got quite the resume here, so I'll let you miss or say the things that I've missed. But you're the president of the Catholic Apologetics Institute of North America. Um, and you have a Master of Pastoral Studies from Loyola University and a bachelor's and master's degree in engineering. So you're a man after, Ken, you're a man after Steve's heart with a background in engineering and then looking at Yeah, yeah, I know. It, well. was, it was neat because, uh, you know, Steve was here uh, speaking to the parish, uh, was that Monday and Tuesday yeah. of this week, um, this being the third the third week of May. And, uh, and it was really good, and it was really fun to hear just, uh, you know, coming from that mechanical engineering background and then the faith. And it's fun It's fun when when people join those together mm-hmm. and talk about the reality of God within, within science. Yeah, I call that the rest of the story. So many people today think that science is somehow opposed to faith, and a lot of people are driven to lose their faith in college and other places because of science. And Bishop Robert Barron has addressed this mm-hmm. at the Youth Synod, and and that this challenge from science is so important today. And so 
the talks that I do uh, proclaiming the reality of God, scientific and human evidence of God's existence, and which is true, creation, evolution, or both, those are the ones that I talk about on, on science and faith. In fact, I just talked with the eighth grade class here at Mount Carmel School this morning, uh, 30-some students, and then they took mm-hmm. me a, on a tour of the f- building, and it's been a long time since I saw the inside of that building. Looks a little different, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the uh, the gym is where we used to have mass when I was a kid here. Wow. And uh, it now looks much smaller than it did back then. It's quite interesting <laughs> how that is. But, yeah, God, I felt God calling me to, um, we had, uh, we lived in Saudi Arabia after I uh, left here, went to Virginia Tech, got a job in Tennessee, was there for 17 years. We had our three children there. And then uh, we moved to, ten- uh, to Saudi Arabia, mm-hmm. and that was in 98, and lived there for 13 years. And people are surprised um, that that we had a parish we had a mass we had five masses a weekend in the school gym we had ccd we had a priest we had confirmation and the students there in the schools the american schools on the compound they the schools only went through the ninth grade so the company the oil company would pay to send your kids anywhere in the world they wanted to go to boarding school wow and so our uh, two sons picked Woodbury Forest in Orange, Virginia, and our daughter went to Foxcroft. And so we now live in Culpeper. We found out about that area through the boarding school. But we had a, a confirmation program. The first two years were mandated by the diocese, and then the third year we thought, well, we really need to help equip these young people for challenges to their faith and to their morals that they're going to face at such a young age going off to high school by themselves in the 10th grade. And so we developed these uh, we called it faith challenges and moral challenges. And, the, and I started putting these video clips in these PowerPoint presentations, and it seemed to be very well received by the students. Of course, we had discussions and things. And uh, then I started giving these presentations to the adults there in the parish mm-hmm. in Saudi Arabia. We didn't have a church building. We met in the local school. Uh, but um, And they were very well received. And then I went to Dubai and for six years gave apologetics talks, these PowerPoint video-based presentations to uh, catechists at the uh, annual catechetical conference. And it was standing room only. And, and I had long felt called to serve God since high school, really. I, was, I explored the possibility of a priesthood mm-hmm. at one point in time. I was in what they called the college contact program. And I'd go to Richmond from Virginia Tech. Uh, two or three times a year for a weekend with the bishop, Bishop Sullivan at the time. Uh, but I, I discerned that that was not for me. But I've long felt called to serve God in the church full time. So these presentations just seem to be so needed, apologetics, equipping people to be able to explain and share why we believe what we believe and be able to uh, defend their challenges to their faith that many people face, especially in college. And so many of people, their children and grandchildren, have left the faith today. And there's a lot of hurt out there and a lot of sadness. And so many people are in the same boat that St. Monica was in 1,600 years ago with her son, yes. who ended up becoming St. Augustine. So there is hope. But anyway, these apologetics presentations were being so well received that at age 55, I felt called to take early retirement from the oil company over there as soon as I could. 
and walked away from a great job uh, to follow this calling to serve God in the church uh, full-time. And it's been an amazing experience. I do give these apologetics presentations around. Just got back from Memphis a couple weeks ago um, and uh, different places around. And, and it's led to me doing some online seminars for Catholic Distance University, a certificate program in apologetics, cdu.edu. And then those led to my two books. Do you want to mention the books? Yeah, absolutely. I've searched no more. This is your second book, <coughs> That's right? That's the second Search, book. The yeah. keys to truth and happiness. And then the other one is the reality of God, the layman's guide to scientific evidence for the Creator. And it struck me that it, it your presentation, at least, I was able to come to the second day. Um, that that was more about the reality of God, right? Talking about evolution and. Yeah, the two talks that I did here uh, on Monday and Tuesday, and I've also done at St. Bede's in Williamsburg last night and tonight, were the proclaiming the reality of God, the scientific and human evidence of God's existence, and then that was followed by which is true, creation, evolution, or both. Because so many people. Uh, see evolution is somehow disproving God. You know, we're just yeah. here by accident, and and we don't need God to explain us being here. We just evolved, and so many people don't understand that the Catholic Church has a, a view of the harmony between science and faith. And evolution doesn't cut God out of the picture because God is the primary and intelligent cause who guides it all. But He works through secondary natural causes like the Darwinian mechanism of natural selection acting on random genetic mutations. And so, you know, there's a harmony, there's a consistency. So that's the second talk, uh, which is true, creation, evolution, or both, and that's in the first book as, as well. Well, I'm wondering if, if our listeners now are a little bit intrigued by some of the terminology used, the difference between primary cause and secondary cause. Would you be interested in just kind of breaking that open just a little bit for us? <laughs> Yeah, it's, uh, it's important to understand that what science discovers, these natural causes, are secondary causes, that they're not primary in and of themselves, and that's the mistake that many scientists make. And they have a view of evolution that could be called atheistic evolution that cuts it out, cuts God out of the picture, and that's what's taught in most of our schools and colleges, and that's why so many people uh, question God. But the God is the primary and intelligent cause behind the evolutionary process. Just like when you look at the statue of the Pieta or um, any of Shakespeare's plays, uh, you can ask, you know, did Shakespeare write that play? Uh, did, did Michelangelo or his chisel carve that statue? And that's the classic example that I use. And, you know, of course it's both, that uh, Michelangelo was the primary cause of that statue, the Pieta. He didn't just, you know, it didn't just come about by itself. And he uh, is also the intelligent cause because his mind saw this uh, beauty in that uh, rock of marble. But he used a tool. He used a tool of a, of a chisel and a hammer and but that chisel is a secondary cause in the hands of the primary cause and it's also a natural cause because he had to understand natural principles of physics and mechanics and how hard to hit rock at what angle to chip it off and get what he wanted to get so in the same way god is the primary and intelligent cause who works through secondary natural causes these mechanisms that science discovers like the darwinian mechanism of natural selection acting on random genetic mutations and you can realize that that there is a primary and intelligent cause behind the evolutionary process by stepping back a little bit. And, and the first element after the Big Bang was hydrogen. And so, you know, what, 
what uh, has happened in our universe is that hydrogen is a gas which, given enough time, turns into people. But for that to happen, there had to be a primary and intelligent cause directing and guiding that process. It could not have happened any other way. The probability and the, and the things that had to be just right for all that to happen, it, it's just astounding. There's such a narrow corridor that everything had to flow through to get to where we are today. Well, I liked what you said on Tuesday that essentially atheistic evolution is, is saying that if you had, had hydrogen in a room, a room full of hydrogen for uh, 50,000 years, 50 million, whatever it is. That 15 billion. 15 yeah. billion years <laughs> yeah. that it would then turn into humans. Yeah. And without God. Without, without any God, divine right? guidance or without any divine plan or any, any divine uh, work at all. That, and that's ridiculous to think that, that, could, that they really believe that, that the hydrogen, the first element after the Big Bang, no divine plan, no divine purpose, just turned into people. And, and so clearly... There is, I mean, that's like saying the Pieta just carved itself. Right. You know, I mean, it's the exact same thing. In order for that Pieta to have come about, there had to be a primary and intelligent cause behind it. And in the same way for us to come about, there had to be a primary and intelligent cause, you know, behind this whole process that led to our bodies evolving uh, over time. But what truly makes us human is the soul. And, you know, Michelangelo showed that so vividly on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel that it's body and soul together. Mm -hmm. If our bodies evolved over time, from a Catholic perspective, so be it. What really makes us human is when God put that soul into that body. And so now you have body and soul together, and that's the first humans. Mm. There's a story of a, um, uh, and I don't know his name, but he was a Russian cosmonaut. And he went up into space and he says, you know, I went up into space and I looked all around and God was nowhere to be found. Therefore, there is no God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about why that's a crazy, yeah. crazy phrase? Uh, yeah, it is because, of course, God is outside of our space-time universe and uh, he can't be perceived in this, in this universe directly through our senses. And sometimes people wonder, well, why is that? Why doesn't God just prove himself to us? Why, why is he, in a sense, hidden in a way that takes faith to believe in his existence? And I love this quote. I shared it in my talk you were at the other night uh, from Norman Geisler, who is the author of I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. And I think he really gets to this. He says that God has provided each of us with the opportunity to make an eternal choice to either accept him or reject him. He respects our free will. And in order to ensure that our choice is totally free, he puts us in an environment that is filled with evidence of his existence. This evidence is discussed on the Cana website. Uh, But without his direct presence, a presence so powerful that it could overwhelm our freedom and thus negate our ability to reject him. Why should we have the ability to reject God? And then he goes on, in other words, God has provided enough evidence in life to convince anyone willing to believe Yet he has also left some ambiguity so as not to compel the unwilling. In this way, God gives us the opportunity to either love him or reject him without violating our freedom. For love, by definition, must be freely given. It cannot be coerced. Even God can't force us to love him. We can't force anybody to truly love us. And even God can't do that. He wants us to voluntarily choose to know, love, and serve him. And so that there has to be a bit of a leap of faith. Mm-hmm. And, and he requires that of us to be able to be a follower of him, to take that leap of faith. 
Because that's part of the nature of love is mm-hmm. that it's, if, if it's coerced, then it's not it's love. not real. And yeah. God is love. <laughs> and I think, um, you know, you spoke of Bishop Barron earlier. He talks uh, a little bit about, like, what that leap of faith because a lot of times people take the leap of faith as like, um, you know, jumping entirely out of logic's realm, right? Like we're just going to suddenly take this leap beyond logic. Um, but Bishop Barron kind of talks about how like in a relationship, for instance, like I I dated my wife and I could if I had wanted, right, and, and been kind of creepy actually. But like, you know interrogated all of her friends, watched her Facebook from, you know, years before and talked to her parents and gotten to know them extremely well and all of these things in order to get a sense of who Rhiannon is. But in the end, at some point, I have to make a trusting step and say, I'm going to marry this woman with the knowledge that I have. This is what I know. But you're never going to fully and completely know. Like you have to take a step at some point and say, I love, mm-hmm. right? And that's how kind of Bishop Barron talks about it. It's not illogical. It's not like we're jumping out of like, okay, it doesn't make sense that God exists, but I'm going to believe anyway. No, there's mm-hmm. so much that makes sense about him existing. And so we take that step and that step of trust, right? Would you, I mean, would you agree with that? Absolutely. Um, there is this evidence enough, I think, that is uh, to convince anyone who's willing to believe. And we certainly don't leave behind our intellect. God respects our intellect. And he also respects our free will. And so we have a choice. And uh, it takes that, that leap of faith and that trust that you're talking about uh, as a Christian to, to find God and to allow him to, and his Holy Spirit to guide our lives and allow us to do his will and so that's the whole purpose of life is to know love and serve god as the old baltimore catechism used to say but now with the materialist has a very hard time with this right because they um and this is this is prevalent in in a lot of the scientific disciplines is the idea of <clears throat> materialism that it's only the material that exists right and so uh so their comprehension of of faith is is not really well, in one sense, they would say it's non-existent because there's no God. Yeah. But then they do have to have faith that that the materialism <laughs> perspective is true, right? Right. Uh, the The problem with a lot of uh, way science is taught and the attitude that many scientists have is is that it's a materialistic or naturalistic view of the world that only what can be perceived with our senses exists, that the spiritual world doesn't exist or is unknowable. And so we treat it like it doesn't exist. Uh, but there's a, a problem with that, and like you say, it assumes, well, where where is that ever written? And, and also... Uh, imagine that uh, what if we had a sixth sense like the movie who's to say that we can perceive the whole of reality with our five senses and the instruments that we've designed to enhance that but uh, the analogy I use is imagine a person who only has four senses who's been born blind since birth and you can see a beautiful red sunset you have a sense of sight you can see it you know that's real but for them they can't perceive that and how would you be able to describe that beautiful red sunset to them so so this idea that the universe is only the physical material world is a very limited uh, world and in my view. And in my second book, I go into this a little bit more, uh, the book Search No More, The Keys to Truth and Happiness, in the chapter where I talk about near-death experiences. Father Robert Spitzer has also written a lot on this. And um, there's been a lot of scholarly studies that show that these near-death experiences are much more than, than chemical reactions in the brain. And there are several uh, things that, that show this, uh, that these scholarly studies have, have uh, determined. 
For one thing, there is this idea of confirmed observations of the physical world when the person is unconscious or during clinical death. And they report things when they're supposedly dead, certainly unconscious, that happened in the operating room or whatever. And people, you know, they know that that's confirmed, okay, that they agree. that. And how would they have known that? A classic example is what's called Maria Shue, that there was this lady brought into a hospital in Seattle, uh, unconscious with a heart uh, attack and flatlined. And they brought her back and she uh, reported what was happening in the operating room, the emergency room. And then she said, oh, by the way, on the opposite side of the hospital building, on the third floor, on the outside ledge of of a window, is a shoe with a shoelace tucked under the heel, the right shoelace. And they said, you know, what? How could could you know that? She'd never been to this hospital before, and this is outside three stories up. And she had left her body, her soul had left her body, and she, you know, basically floated up there and observed this. And so they went and looked, and they found that shoe outside the window just like she said and she was in the emergency room still when she described this and so how how could she have known this there's so many cases of this what's called veridical perception or verified perception and so this again points to this spiritual world that exists that there is a reality beyond the physical world uh, that lives on after death and another thing that is reported is that blind people see during a near-death experiences they report colors and they report you know seeing things that uh, they you know when they're dead flatline that they could not see when they're conscious and uh, and this stuns people as well and you know the movie um, Heaven is for Real? Yes. Yeah. The boy Colton Burp. Burp. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he reports uh, meeting his, and there's a lot of cases of this too, that he reports meeting his deceased sister. Uh, who he didn't even she died before he was born and he had never been told about her and he came back and told his mother you know by the way I met you know my sister in heaven and um and her mother's like, you know, the movie does a great job showing this. You know, how did you, you know, what? And and so he indeed had met his sister who he hadn't known existed. And many people report uh, meeting previously unknown deceased relatives during a near-death experience. And so how could this have happened if there's not a, another world, another dimension beyond the physical world? And another thing that people are reporting is what's called shared death experiences or empathic death experiences, that that during a near-death experience, somebody's with a loved one in the hospital room, and they're going through a near-death experience. Well, the person with them is also experiencing those same events, that same life review or the tunnel or the lights. And how could a person who's conscious, you know, with their just keeping the comfort with their loved one, how could they perceive the exact same things that the unconscious person is perceiving uh, in this near-death experience and, and report those exact same things, the light and the tunnel and, and uh, seeing deceased relatives and things. So there is some pretty compelling evidence for the reality of heaven and an afterlife and the spiritual world in general that these studies of near-death experiences have revealed. Well, and wouldn't you also say, too, that that from a materialistic perspective, um, there just are things that are not material, like some of the ideas that we have, right? The concept love. of love, right? Yeah. <laughs> like love can be lived out, but the, just the concept of love or some of the greatest poetry that's written that's like, you know, this is beyond 
something that is material in front of us that we can study. How do you study scientifically the concept of love? Yeah, yeah you could say it's the synapses. You know, it's various things going on in your brain, like chemical reaction, but that still doesn't explain the concept, right? And and the drive and the desire and like so, it's it's fascinating that we would get stuck in just the material. Yeah, and uh, like you say, many people do. And what is um, most persuasive today, I think, are scientific, you know, reasons. People mm-hmm. accept scientific reasons. And that's what I think is so important about the scientific evidence of God's existence that we talked about and with the students today and, and later this week. And it's on the website as well, the, the Big Bang, uh, the laws of nature, and the fine-tuning of the universe. But these scholarly studies of near-death experiences, I think, that show that this cannot be – I mean, a chemical reaction in the brain would not have – given Maria an insight into that shoe three stories right. up on the far side of the building. And, you know, so these sort of things are hard for people to write off, I think, that yes. the, that this medical, scientific, you know, observations that are thousands of people are reporting these things. And so these studies lend a credibility to to this, I think, that's very important. Well, and it seems like even those stories, and, uh, and I did read, um, I was able to read, big chunks of your book in the couple days before this podcast but uh what i found interesting too is just from the scientific perspective when you talk about the near-death experience if you run that i'm not a scientist but if you were to run that kind of through the scientific model and say okay is it verifiable you know uh is this a, a theory or what i mean it seems pretty credible that you have enough of these cases to say that this truly is something that's immaterial that happens Yes, and, and, you know, they have tried to explain it away by chemical reactions in the brain. That's the light and all that. But, again, how does that explain them seeing deceased relatives that they didn't even know existed or the, the perception of things happen, happening in the operating room when they're dead, flatlined, or this shoe, for example, on the third floor of the building outside? Uh, this This cannot be explained. Uh, by chemical reactions in the brain. And so there are many studies that have been done. More and more doctors and, and scientists are starting to take this a little bit seriously. This field was opened up by Raymond Moody, who, who was a professor at the University of Virginia. So right here in mm. Virginia, this started up in the wow. 70s with his book, Life After Life. Mm. Well, you know, one thing that I think is really uh, neat, too, is that, and that maybe the secular world um, it's easy to forget, and even Catholics might not know, but it's just how much the Catholic, our Catholic uh, history has had on science. That the Big Bang Theory, that's something that many atheist scientists tout around and say, you know, this is proof God doesn't exist, was found by a Jesuit priest. I mean, that it was proposed by one. Is that right? <laughs> Absolutely. Father George Lemaitre, who uh, in 1920 seven uh, proposed this theory he had a paper published that uh, the the universe began at a point in time in the past and that has been expanding ever since and this was dismissed many scientists didn't like that from nothing comes nothing and so if everything came from some from nothing if everything came from nothing then there has to be a cause for that and a lot of scientists didn't like those theological implications and one of them sir fred hoyle he just said oh that's just a big bang and he dismissed it and that name of course 
we're stuck. <laughs> but in 1929, Edwin Hubble, we know the Hubble telescope, yeah. right? And people wonder, who's that named after? Well, in 1929, he made two very astounding discoveries. It's hard to believe we didn't know until 1929. He uh, was an astronomer at the Mount Wilson Observatory in California. And he discovered first that our galaxy is not the only galaxy in the universe. There's lots of other galaxies out there as well, billions of them. And he also found out that they're all moving away from each other. <laughs> and so this was the first uh, empirical evidence that uh, Father Lemaitre was right, that the universe is expanding. And if you rewind the clock, it all comes back to that single point in the past. And so, you know, everything that, co- that begins to exist has a cause of its existence. And if the universe began to exist, then there must be a cause of that as well. And, uh, you know, that certainly points to God. Uh, and I think I think what's exciting about that too, the fact that the Big Bang theory came from a Catholic priest, yeah. is that as Catholics, we can really just love science and really investigate without fear, right? Because we're like we know that that God has 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 orchestrated certain things and ordered certain things, and so it makes it you know all the more exciting to discover those things without without the fear of what we might find. Absolutely. We know that uh, God, like I said, is the primary and intelligent cause who works through secondary natural causes, and these are what scientists seek to discover. And so we're finding how God works, how God put the universe together, and we're uncovering the handiwork of God in science. That used to be the view of scientists back uh, Copernicus and Newton and mm-hmm. even Galileo. You know, they had a view that they were uncovering the handiwork of God, and, and it's called the book of God's works. There's the book of God's words, but there's also the book of God's works, what we see in nature. Mm-hmm. And so science was uncovering uh, evidence of God. And I think for many people today, the most persuasive evidence of, uh, from science of the existence of God is what's called the fine-tuning of the universe. And about 40 years ago, Scientists discovered that these numbers, these constants in the mathematical expressions of the laws of nature, there's about 20 of them, the universal gravitational constant, strong nuclear force, weak nuclear force, electromagnetic, there's a whole bunch of these that are discussed in my book, that they're all set to precisely what is needed for us to be here, for life to exist. If any one of these 20 numbers, fixed numbers, that we've been able to figure out as scientists, you know, why, why are we able to figure out their value? That's a question. And, but that number is all, they're all set, these 20 numbers, like 20 dials on a wall that have all been set to precisely what is needed for us to be here. And so if there's, fine, they call this the fine-tuning of the universe. And so if there's fine, uh, fine-tuning in the universe, then this is, for many people a pretty compelling evidence of a fine tuner that set all those dials just right uh, for life and for us to be here well that's great well steve this easily we could continue talking for another hour maybe two hours on this <laughs> we just started cracking the surface but this is why you have a presentation on these things uh, <laughs> and we've got um we're about at the 30 minute mark do you want to say anything about your books um about what you do before we close up yes if people want more information on these topics uh they can go to the website of the catholic apologetics institute of north america that's C-A-I-N-A-W-E-B.org, org. It's not Cana like the wedding feast Cana. It's Cana like Cain and Abel because, like our priest in Saudi Arabia said, we'd be out killing bad ideas as apologists. So, so, so it's, uh, I like it. It's org, And uh, my books 
uh, the reality of God, the layman's guide to scientific evidence for the Creator. The key word there is layman. Uh, goes through in, in plain English how science actually supports belief in God and, and evolution is not incompatible with the existence of God. And then my new book, Search No More, The Keys to Truth and Happiness, uh, looks at, uh, and many people are given this book as a gift for those who do believe in God but don't go to church. Many people today uh, just don't go to church, but yet they believe in God. So this book uh, makes the case that true happiness is found in Jesus uh, and his church. And so many people are reading this book, like I say, and giving it as a gift for, for people that once they accept in God's existence, then why bother going to church? And what about Jesus? How do we know he's the divine son of God who rose from the dead? And this is the book that discusses uh, salvation as well, near-death experiences, Christ's passion, how we accept that gift of salvation. Uh, so those are on Amazon. The publisher is Tan Books, and they're available in Catholic bookstores as well. Yeah, and we'll uh, we'll put a link in the uh, show notes if you want to click through and check it out. Uh, please do. And we're so grateful uh, that you were able to spend some time with us, Steve, and um, and come and give these presentations. It's so great. First of all, just to have you, but also that you came from this parish and yeah. are now doing this wonderful apostolate. Um, and I just I love it. This area is uh, is rich with scientists and engineers, mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. I think your presentation is excellent. Um, for a community like ours and I'm sure many other people so yes it's been a real pleasure to be back especially in my old home parish and see how it's changed and meet the people here again and it's it's been a wonderful experience thank you well thanks Steve and until next time Our Lady of Mount Carmel pray, pray for, for us. us thanks again for tuning in we would love for you to join the conversation that we started by sending us an email at vichimundum1633 at gmail.com or by connecting with us on Facebook and or Instagram And while we love doing these podcasts, we really love hearing from and starting relationships with you even more. I also want to extend an invitation to you that if you like these shows and would like to see more produced by our parish, please feel free to support what we're doing. You can go to Our Lady of Mount Carmel's website and give online by designating your donation to Beachy Window. Monthly gifts are especially helpful. Finally, as a reminder, the views and opinions expressed on this show are those of the presenters alone and they do not necessarily reflect the views of Our Lady of Mount Carmel Church or the Catholic Diocese of Richmond. God bless you, and we look forward to talking with you soon.